Two, yeah. <laughs> Three, okay, that's it. You're all getting discipline. Yeah, yeah. Church discipline, in fact. It's even worse than that. Um, hey, as we get started this morning, um, by quick show of hands, does anyone need a book for the Pilgrim's Progress? Who doesn't have a book? This is not shaming. This is just me asking. If you don't have one, we've got some free books here that we want to give out. So Titus, come help me again. Titus is my helper this morning. Um, so everybody say thank you to Titus. All right, Titus. Okay, so anyone who has a hand raised, hand them out a book. If you don't get one, sorry. Uh, there's a bunch of different copies of this book, guys. So I'm going to show you a couple, okay? So this is one we went over with the youth a while ago. It's uh, a, a Nico Press. It's good. It's got illustrations. The illustrations are really old and awesome. So this is a good one. It also has a bunch of different biblical references in it. So I highly recommend this version. Um, then I also got the really nifty, cool-looking version. Uh, I got from a free book from Together for the Gospel and back in 2018. Uh, this is the Banner of Truths version of Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, anyways, if you want one of these, this is another good one to buy. Um, there's like three million versions of the Pilgrim's Progress. Also, if you don't want to buy one and you just want an online one, you can go to Desiring God and, thanks, and in Desiring God, they have them for free. You can download them for free. Uh, I don't know, it's like an EPUB or a PDF. Uh, go there. So anyways, if you don't have the book yet and you want an online version, super easy. You can take care of it there. All right, let me pray and then maybe I'll... Uh, try to explain kind of how we're doing this. Uh, I know you had an intro from Dennis last week, uh, and then we'll go over the city of destruction. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we give you all the glory, praise, and honor uh, for this overcast day that you've given us today. Uh, we are so thankful for the rains that you've been bringing, and Father, we are so thankful that we can gather here today. Lord, as we are here and just trying to be uh, encouraged and discipled uh, through such a classic work like the Pilgrim's Progress, we pray that you prepare our minds and encourage us to discipleship through this hour or less. Uh, and then we also pray that you would just prepare our hearts for what we get to come to today in corporate worship. Uh, may we be excited uh, for your word to be read, for your word to be sung, prayed, uh, to, to see your word in the ordinances today, both of them. Lord, just build in us an excitement. Um, all to your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, so you guys got handed out, I think, uh, by Titus, um, who is just awesome. Um, Titus handed out a reading schedule as well. So we're going to have a reading schedule uh, for you guys so you can be prepared uh, when you come in here. You can know, what should I have read the week before? Um, and really, this reading schedule is really slow, okay? So if you're like, oh, I don't want to be overwhelmed with so much reading, what I'm teaching on today, I think, was maybe like four pages. So it's doable. You can certainly read along with us, and it won't be overwhelming. So I would just encourage you, uh, make sure that you're um, reading beforehand, then you can bring good questions. You can try to come and stump the teacher. I'm kidding, don't do that. That'll make me feel really nervous. But um, you guys just can read along as we go through um, and then feel kind of like you're, you're ready to go each Sunday morning. 
Okay, so let me ask this question. Who has read The Pilgrim's Progress? Awesome. Okay, when... Is this something that you guys have read like a hundred times or is it like, I've read it once back when I was in high school and okay, whatever. Anyone can answer. It's okay. It's, it's free range. Somewhere in the middle. Okay. Is anyone like, I read this every year, making sure I, Edgar, you're so nerdy. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. We appreciate you, buddy. Um, so... So yeah, I mean, this is an awesome book, guys. I'm really excited. This morning, it's going to be um, short and sweet. So I was assigned to talk about the city of destruction. Now, the four pages that I got, there, there's a bunch to talk about. But what I want really quickly is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for interaction, okay? So a lot of this morning will be interaction. So quickly, um, who thinks they know what the city of destruction is? Remember, this is... An analogy, right? We're, we're not, this isn't like a woodenly literal. This is a dream. So there's a lot of, uh, at play here with interpretation. So when John Bunyan says the city of destruction, what, what is he referring to? What was that? Worldliness. Worldliness. Okay. Babylon. Babylon. Okay. Anybody else? Yeah, Brandon just said Los Angeles, and I would say the Lakers say different, okay, as we continue to go in the playoffs. You're welcome. All right, so, um, yeah, the city of destruction, sure, is worldliness. Um, we can think about it as Babylon, but as we're thinking about it here in uh, the storyline, right in the beginning, right in the beginning, where the man is, did you, did you notice, or maybe... We haven't been reading it yet, but even in these first few pages, we don't actually know Christian's name. So I know we've all read The Pilgrim's Progress, or many of us have, and so we know the guy's name in this book is Christian, but at this point, he doesn't even have a name yet. He's just the man, um, the man in the dream. So the man in the dream, immediately, his setting is the city of destruction. And what I want you to realize is, is that we are, we are actually living in the city of destruction, right? There is going to be an end. There is going to be a time where uh, this earth looks a lot different um, in the new heavens and the new earth. And so I think, here's my interpretive lens here, is that Bunyan is writing this as his own kind of um, testimony of coming to Christ. And he's also writing it in an evangelistic way. That's what I wanted to say. Um, And so the city of destruction is here. It is, it is what we are living in at this moment. All right, so let me jump in. And what you're going to see in my notes this morning is I'm really just giving you a summary of the big points that were touched on uh, about the city of destruction, but more importantly, what's happening to Christian or the man uh, in the city of destruction. So the big things that we are going to talk about this morning, actually, it's just one. It's conviction. Okay, so in these first four And it's good because I don't think we have the reading uh, kind of lined up yet or you guys haven't been reading yet, so this will be good. I'm just going to summarize for you this one time and then next week you can start reading. So we begin this book with a man, with a book, and a burden, okay? So the dream, um, what's interesting about the dream is in the beginning of Pilgrim's Progress, he says he finds a cave 
and he goes and he takes a sleep in the cave. I don't know if Dennis talked about this last week, but do you know what the cave is? This isn't Plato. I'm not bringing you back to philosophy here. What, what's the cave represent? Anybody want to take a, a guess or a stab? Nobody? The cave? Los Angeles. Everyone's picking on LA. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks, Brandon. No. Darkness. Okay. So where is John Bunyan when he writes this book? He's in prison. So the cave that he goes and he takes a nap in is Bedford Prison in England, right? This is where he was actually imprisoned. And so he's there in prison and this cave that he talks about, he goes and takes a nap or he takes a sleep. This is kind of the, the representation of where he goes and takes a nap. And then he dreams this dream. And in this dream, we are introduced to the man who has a book in his hand and a giant burden or a heavy load on his back, okay? So I want you to see Bunyan's um, theology of man, or we would call this an anthropology, okay? From the very beginning, Christian is loaded with a burden, okay? What does that burden represent? I'm hearing whispers of it. Sin, okay? The burden represents sin. And from the very beginning, Christians hunched over with it. So what does that lead us to see from Bunyan's theology? Well, it's, he is seeing total depravity in Christian, okay? So it's not like Christian went and sinned, and then all of a sudden this giant burden got onto his back. From the very beginning, Christian has a burden on his back. And he's reading a book that's helping him see this, but already he's got this burden. And what I love about it, I hope he forgives me. When I'm reading this chapter, I'm just seeing our man Ronnie here because Christian is so emotional in a good way where he is like, he reads the Bible and he just starts crying. And I just think of my man Ronnie here because I know he loves God's word and he's so moved by it. And so I literally thought it was like, you were the face of Christian as I was reading this week, but forgive me. Um, <laughs> So now you'll all have that, right? You're going to see Ronnie's beard and his glasses when you're thinking of Christian. Um, so um, from the very get-go, right, uh, the man is emotionally and physically distraught. So here, here comes some participation. Who is willing to read Psalm 38, verses 1 through 11? Psalm 38, 1 through 11. So the face of Christian is now going to be the voice of Christian, okay? So, so go ahead. Read for us Psalm 38, verses 1 through 11. The Lord rebuke me, not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink. 
Whew. That's heavy, right? That's, that's David. That's, that's a uh, confession of his sin. He's feeling the burden of sin. And so Christian, as we begin this awesome story, this, this tale of a man and sanctification and coming to know Christ, we begin with him with a book that we don't know about yet. But as he's reading this book, he is feeling that burden on him. And what I love about the version, at least that I'm reading, which was this, this one, um, he starts crying out immediately. He cries out, what shall I do? He's just freaking out. He's there. He's got this book. He's reading it. What shall I do? Because sin is just beating down on him. So then Christian goes, or the man, I know I keep saying both, sorry. But the man then goes to his family. And his family notices what's going on with him. They're like, what's wrong with you? Like, why are you so distraught? What's going on? And this, the family is really interesting to pick up on and keep paying attention to. So they're, they're actually, in the beginning, they're, they're feeling bad for him. What, what's going on, Christian or man? Uh, why are you so sad, right? And he responds to them, telling them, man, I, I love you guys, but I, I need you guys to know this. And, and it's, there's a buildup for him. In the, in the beginning, he's talking about the burden that he has, but then he has this deep sigh. And then he tells them, we actually live in the city of destruction. This place will be destroyed by fire, right? And he, and he tells them this, and this is clearly, again, this is what I was trying to draw out in the very beginning. This is the end, right? He's pointing to the end, and even for us, as we read it, we can, we can picture the end that will happen. And the family who hears the truth from Christian right, immediately says, I don't think you're well. Why don't you go to sleep? Go take a nap because you're out your mind right now. We don't think you're doing okay, right? Maybe we've all experienced that when someone gets charged on Christianity, when the Lord brings someone from death to life, right, and we're seeing that change in them and everyone around them is like, well, just, just calm down a little bit, okay? You're taking this a little too seriously. You're making me feel uncomfortable. Well, the family's clearly playing that role here. The family's like, just, just, just take a nap. Go to sleep. See if that helps you. So what I want to do is I want someone to read for us Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. Big chunk. Big chunk. The voice of pilgrim is no longer, or the voice of Christian is no longer available. So it has to be someone else. Romans 1, 18 through 32. Michael, you're on it. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. 
Thank you, brother. That was a long, long verse. I appreciate your reading on that. So that's, that's one of those, you know, chunks of scripture that you're like, ooh, right? That lands on you heavy. But the reason why I wanted to read that whole thing, because at least in the beginning, Christian's family has hardness of heart. They've heard the truth. They have no excuse. They see the same things that Christian is seeing. They, they've heard Christian talk about the book that he's been reading that's been pouring conviction on him. And yet, even after hearing those same things, they're like, no, 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 no. Just go get some rest. You don't know what you're talking about. And what I love about Christian is that when he goes to rest, he's like, okay, I, I'll go try to take a nap. Does it get better for Christian? The answer is no. Okay, I can raise my hand here and say, if I have not confessed sin and I know that I have sinned, usually it's kind of hard for me to sleep. I, I, if I'm going to go to bed while I know that I have an offense against someone else, uh, the Lord using the Holy Spirit is working on me and just tightening down the hatches, right? Where I'm like, oh man, I can't sleep well. I, I'm really upset. I really want to make sure that we're okay, me and a dear friend or whatever it may be. And this is what's happening to Christian. He cannot sleep because God is bringing conviction to Christian through his word. All right, one more reader, Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13. This is what's happening to Christian's family. Spoiler alert, there's a part two to Pilgrim's Progress. Just leave that there, okay? You can pick that up later. Hebrews chapter three, verses 12 and 13. You don't have to read super long like last time. Who's my reader? Go for it. Watch out, brothers and sisters, so that there won't be any of, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage each other daily while it's still called today, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Thank you. We see that sin is deceitful, right? The deceitfulness of sin. And this is what's winning over Christian's family right now. They are not able to see with, with right eyes what's happening or hear the word of God because they have allowed their hearts to become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So this leads our guy to bail from his house probably early in the morning with that book. And he's wandering around in the fields, right? He's, he's reading it. He's trying to figure out what's happening. He doesn't know what to do. You can just see this pacing of Christian. He's walking around. And then I love it. I just love this guy. Because then he just yells out loud, right? I know it's a story and we have to progress it. But he yells out loud, what must I do to be saved? Right? He, he cries out. And notice how that's different from what he first cried out. So when he first cried out, it's just, what, what do I do? But now this conviction is leading him to say, How, what do I do to be saved? How can I be saved from this burden? And then who shows up but evangelist? Okay, I, I'm not allowed to go into the depths that I want to go because I'll be stealing it from the next person who gets to talk about evangelist and pliable and obstinate and all these cool characters that you're going to meet. But I'm just going to say it right now. Evangelist is my dude. I like evangelists, okay? In this story, he's the best. He shows up out of nowhere other times and he encourages them. They reflect on what evangelists have said when they're going through this crazy journey and they need to be encouraged. So I want us to pay special attention 
to evangelist because I know this congregation. We've got guys in here and gals that want to share the gospel. And I want you to take note of how John Bunyan explains evangelist. Probably evangelist is supposed to be his old pastor, uh, John Bunyan, not not Christian, but John Bunyan, the guy who wrote this, uh, it's said that it's most likely his old pastor that is going to be evangelist. But this is what evangelist does. He shows up out of nowhere and then he asks the man sincere questions. So if you're evangelist, which we all should be evangelists, right? Look how evangelist goes and encounters this man who's crying, right? We see um, that evangelist hears this cry, sees this man, and now he wants to go and ask them questions. So number one, he says, why are you crying, right? He's actually legitimately concerned. He wants this guy to be okay. He, he, he's not just, you know, walking around ready to smack somebody with a gospel track, right? He's not like, all right, who's my guy? Here, bam, there's a gospel track. You too, bam, right? He's not doing that. He's walking around, open to what the Lord may lead him to do, and here's this person crying. Okay, Lord, maybe this is an opportunity for me to go and and, and to see if this person's okay. So he goes and he wants to make sure this man's okay. The man answers, I've been reading this book, the Bible, right? And I see the consequences of my sin. And he actually talks about the fact that he is going to be convicted of his sin that he's not only going to die at some point, but when he does die, the burden that's on his back, he says, will sink me down to Gehenna, right? Or he's talking about hell. He's like, this burden on my back will lead me to hell. He doesn't even have categories yet, but he's, he's reading his Bible and he realizes this thing on my back is going to convict me. And he's so scared of it that he says, I'm not willing to do either of these things. I'm not willing to die, and I'm not willing to be judged, which is why I'm crying and yelling out to nobody in the middle of a field, what must I do to be saved? And then note what evangelist does. He doesn't just dive right in, right? Or he doesn't track smack, uh, coin that. You guys can use that, track smack, okay? Just remember that I gave you that, track smack. He, He actually says, he asks more questions. Well, why aren't you willing to die? What a, that's awesome. That shows that evangelist is not just trying to win someone over, but that he's listening. He's asking more questions. He's trying for this man to reveal more things about him so he can better apply the gospel to him. So the man answers, um, again, that his burdens are going to lead him to hell, and then he just starts crying. Uh, and he writes in the book, which makes me want to cry, which is why, again, I think of Ronnie, who I love so much. Um, and, and he said, this, this sin, it just makes me want to cry, right? And so evangelist, he goes, well, if this is true, what are you sitting around here for? Why are you just sitting out in this field moping and crying? Right? He asks another question, leading him, continuing to lead him. And the, and the man says, I, I don't even know where to go. What do I do next, right? And this is like an evangelist dream. So I understand that this isn't, you know, this isn't how all talks go. When you start seeing someone on the street, why are you crying? 
Okay, well, if you're crying, let me read what I'm supposed to read next. Why aren't you willing to die? Okay, well, awesome. And now, um, well, why are you, that's not how it goes. But what we see is this template of continuing to ask questions. Dig in, dig in. And then once you get to the bottom of this person's misery or help them see by asking good questions, then you can give them advice. So that's what evangelist does. He moves to counsel. He actually, at this point, track smacks him, okay? He gives him a track, right? It says that he actually gives him a scroll. And in this scroll, he opens it up and the scroll says, flee the city of destruction. So it is actually telling him, hey, you are supposed to flee from here. And we'll get more about this scroll that he has in his hand later. But you are supposed to flee from here. And in true fashion, he gets this track and he's like, okay, I understand I have to flee. Where do I go? And so Evangelist points him to the wicked gate. Okay, I put a little footnote in here because I have to always remind myself, it's not the wicked gate. It's not like an evil gate. He's not pointing him, go to the evil gate. That wouldn't make any sense, right? The wicked gate, okay? It's, it's like a small door. It's like a small entrance, okay? That leads into maybe like a bigger pasture or something like that. Um, so anyways, yeah, um, the, the wicked gate, um, and then to help him get there, because Christian's like, I don't see it. Like, where is it, right? He's, he's so distraught. He's emotional. He gives him the guidance of looking towards the celestial city. This is the end of his track, right? This is where he wants to go. And he says, look at the light. And Christian's like, oh, I can see that, okay? Look at the heavenly things. Let that get, guide you to the wicked gate, okay? So Christian's like, okay, and his conviction of sin then leads to consequences. Yes, Ronnie? You want to read a scripture reference for that? Did you want to read a scripture reference for that? <laughs> if you guys don't know me, I like putting footnotes. And in my footnotes, there's little goodies uh, every once in a while. And if you can find a goodie and you jump at it, I'll hook you up. All right, go ahead, Ronnie. Your goodies are leaving, Ronnie. They're gone. They're gone. Yeah, but Luke, uh, verse 25 and 26, right? You want to read it to us, buddy? Let, let me hear it. Let me hear it. Now the great, class, the great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, this is Jesus, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross Therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. 
that's super good, and I'm glad you read that, but that's not actually the footnote that I was pointing at. I love it. Thank you for reading that, because that's where we're going next. But thinking, don't say sorry, I love it. You, you read the verse that we're going to talk about next. But when we're thinking, uh, I'm not going to give you any more hints. If anybody wants to raise their hand about footnote number two and thinks they know the verse that's talking about the wicked gate, by all means, jump up, have the verse ready, and read it. Okay, so as we continue, okay, this conviction leads to consequences. And what I love about this depiction is that Christian, or the man, begins this journey in a full-on sprint, is what it says. He just starts running, right? He's like, here I go, I'm going, I'm going to the wicked gate, get out of my way, right? And, and I just love that because isn't that true when Christ is, or the Holy Spirit is regenerating our heart? We're like, let's go. I need to know what I need to do. I need to be forgiven of this sin. I need help. Someone help me. And the Lord provides that through his word and through people, right? And so here he goes. He's going and he's running. And what begins to immediately happen? His family comes back into the picture. And what does his family do? Come back. What are you doing? Don't run that way. You're out of your mind. You didn't sleep. You didn't take your Sabbath nap. You would have felt better had you just napped. You wouldn't have felt that conviction anymore, but you couldn't sleep. So because you didn't do that, you're out of your mind. And no, he doesn't just do that. This is my favorite part, I think. I'm gonna qualify. I think of the Pilgrim's Progress because what does Christian do when his family, I mean, this, these are his loved ones, his own wife, his children. Can you imagine that for a second? If your wife and your children weren't following you or weren't with you or your, your husband or whoever, and you just go running out of the room with fingers in your ears screaming, life, life, eternal life. And Christian understands the reality, the consequences of his conviction. And that's what Ronnie just read for us. Christ must be Lord of your heart and of your life. And that will bring consequences to your life. I think all of us, yes? Can you, uh, the verse you wanted, is that the one in Matthew? There's lots of verses in Matthew. <laughs> well, there's also and I like them all. Bingo, bingo. All right, you've got a sticker or a bookmark coming your way. Don't let me forget. Yeah, right? That's the, that's the wicked. <laughs> the voice of Christian said, I had it too. It was coming next. So um, he's going to start crying about it. We love you. We love you. I hope. I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> all right. All right. So, so. Right? Here goes Christian. He's bailing. He's running, and his family starts calling him back. But it's not just his family, it's everyone else that he knows. And I'm not going to, I'm going to stay in my lane because the next person who gets up here is going to be able to talk about that more uh, convincingly than me. But what I want you to see is that people started mocking him, they started deriding him, they, they started calling him crazy. And I want you to know be ready. 
if you, I, I, can I have a show of hands if you're willing? Who has had to go through hard conversations about your faith with your family? I love you guys. And if you have not yet, be ready. Because I think Bunyan is helping us see, yes, to be expected. And if you read Psalm 1 and Proverbs 1, 10 and following, you're going to see that that's an expectation we should all have. That there will be mocking, scorning. There will be hate for what you believe. It will be hard. Okay, so here goes Christian. He's bailing. And uh, really, that's all I'm allowed to talk about. Uh, I'm not allowed to talk about anything else at this point. Um, I thought you were going to do it, Suzanne. I thought. I was waiting. I was waiting. All right, sorry to draw attention. Um, okay, so here we go. This now is what I want you to get as considerations from what we just read. I know it was super short. I know there wasn't a ton of stuff that we went over, but it was so jam-packed with goodness. Um, I want you to have a few considerations as you leave this Sunday school. I want you to think of this question, what is conviction of sin? So I have some fill-ins, okay? If you want to, I'm not making you. Um, what is conviction of sin? Number one, I would say is that you are guilty of sin. You're guilty of sin. So I, I put in here a few different verses, but what I think is really interesting was the conviction that Nathaniel brought King David, right? So we all know this story when he comes in and tells this wonderful parable to David about this incredibly horrible person that would take away the sheep from other people, although they had all these sheep, and David's riled up, and he's mad, and he goes, who is this man, right? And Nathaniel just fires back, you are the man. We're all like, wow, right? Because that just drives in that conviction and that guilt of sin, and then what does David do? He acknowledges it, right? Later on, in that same um, pericope, David says, I am guilty of that sin. Now, we have beautiful confessions of that in Psalm 51, right? Even Psalm 38, which we read a little bit earlier. These are the convictions of David, the guilt over his sin. Acts 2.47, when the gospel was preached, the people were convicted. They were guilty of their sin, and they yelled out, just like we read in the Pilgrim's Progress, what must I do to be saved? Now, Romans 3, 10 through 18 helps us understand that we're all guilty of sin, no matter what, right? All of us, from the beginning, like a Christian or the man, are born with a giant burden on our back. It was given to us. So number one, what is conviction of sin? Well, it is understanding that you're guilty of sin. And then number two, that conviction is because you have a grief over your sin. So it's not just that you're guilty of sin, but that you grieve it. Because if you can just intellectually say, yeah, I know, I'm a sinner, but you never actually have that experiential side of it, I would say there's something not right here. You need to have that grief over it. Again, we read Psalm 38. So I'm going to read, or will somebody read for me quickly, 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 13. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 13. 
Who's my reader? Go for it. I'll stop you there. I'll stop you there. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. So we see that a godly grief is something that is given to us so that we will feel the conviction of our sin. And that is brought to us, number three, by the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm going to read this because we're just about out of time. But John chapter 16, this is so sweet. And it's such an encouragement, or it should be an encouragement to us. Get there, get there, get there. Someone's already there making me feel bad. 16, 7 through 11. All right. Nevertheless, this is Christ talking. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Okay. So we see that conviction of sin is understanding your guilt. It is feeling the grief. It is brought about by the Holy spirit. And typically it is used through the word of God through the use of the word. And there, there are many scriptures to go to. Um, Romans 10, 14 through 17. I would highlight that as we're out of time to read that. Um, but it is, again, you're guilty of sin. You have grief over sin. It is brought about by the Holy Spirit using the word of God. So I want to leave you with a question that I hope makes you feel uncomfortable. Thinking back on your own Christian life, can you remember coming under the conviction of your own sin? This morning, I want you to share that testimony with the neighbor sitting next to you or when you go out to lunch. This is an encouragement to each other when you share your testimony. Okay, if you're going out to lunch with people, I've ruined your lunch plans. This is what you're doing. You're going to talk about this. You're going to encourage each other with how the Lord saved you by his Holy Spirit that he brought about the grief of your guilt. Okay, let me see head nods. Okay, this is me holding you accountable. The point, okay? And then lastly, uh, I want you guys to think about evangelism. I think you have blanks here. Do you still have blanks? Okay, here we go. Uh, How did the evangelist evangelize? Number one, he listened to the man's worries and strife. Guys, listen to people. That's how you can know how to apply the gospel in different situations. Don't just um, kind of willy-nilly it. Listen to somebody, hear their heart. Number two, he asked thoughtful 
questions. Okay? He, he didn't just want to trap somebody. He wanted to, to really hear them and really understand them. Number three, he provided biblical help and gave guidance on how to accomplish it. He provided biblical help and guidance on how to accomplish it. And then friends, sometimes we make evangelism too complicated or we're scared that we have not been trained enough. The truth is, if we know the gospel, we can meet people, hear them, ask questions, and then point them to Christ. It's not rocket science, it's evangelism. You can do it. All right, let me pray for us, and I'll be up here for questions, concerns, and cries of outrage. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time we've got to spend together. We pray that you would use it to encourage us um, to be evangelists and also to flee from the destruction that is before us, bring conviction of our sin, help us feel the grief over our sin and repent it to you because you and you alone are faithful to forgive us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.